and royal gifts and honors high to me be freely given, that people like us who are sinners, who were dead in our transgressions and sins, that God has made alive, and now he's crowned us with the royal riches of heaven, that we are sons of God. What royal, amazing gifts that God has given to us, that we can have all of this freely, that he stooped down to lift us up from our sins and crown us with glory. What a great hymn that is for us to reflect upon. Well, now is a time in our service when we turn to the preaching of God's Word. And we are going to be continuing our study from the letter of Philippians. If you want to turn with me now, we are going to be in Philippians chapter 1. Our text will begin in the second half of verse 18. Most of your Bibles will divide verse 18, and you'll see it beginning there with, Yes, and I will rejoice. Hear now the reading of the word of the Lord. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming again to you. That sends the reading of the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you that you would speak to us now. Lord, you can shine light into darkness and illuminate where there is things that cannot be seen by us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would Shine the light of your word into our hearts this morning, the light of your gospel to illuminate in us the things that need to change, the ways that we need to grow. Lord, we pray that you would shine the light of your gospel, that you would give us hope as this text proclaims hope to us. Lord, suppress and keep Satan and his temptations away, his, the ways that he would seek, us, seek to turn us away from your word. Overcome these things by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this continuation of the study of the letter of Philippians, Paul now turns to his own life. We saw last week that Paul begins this section of saying that he wants the brothers in Philippi to know about how the gospel is continuing to go out despite his imprisonment even going out despite the wrong intentions of fellow believers. And it's not just that we saw that God makes the gospel go out despite his imprisonment, that God is actually using this prison to advance the gospel. God turning things to us that we think are the very things we would want to seek to avoid, that we don't want Christians imprisoned, for the sake of the gospel, that we don't want to see the leaders in the church in prison because that would mean the gospel would be shut up and chained down, 
that Paul shows that God is actually using a prison as a means to advance his gospel. But Paul isn't done rejoicing. He turns again to rejoice even more. He rejoiced over the gospel being proclaimed, but next he begins to say how he will continue to rejoice in what God is going to do. So what is the reason that Paul rejoices? Why is he now rejoicing again all the more? Ultimately, this text before us that Paul presents to us, he rejoices because Jesus Christ will be glorified. That's the essence of what Paul presents to us. He is rejoicing because he knows that just as the gospel is going out, Christ is being proclaimed. Now he rejoices because Christ is going to continue to be exalted and glorified no matter what happens in this world. And that is why Paul ultimately will continue to rejoice. He knows that Christ is going to be exalted, most particularly in in Paul's life himself, as we will see. So the question for us as we look at this text is, how will Christ be glorified? How is Christ going to be glorified in the life of Paul, whose imprisonment, awaiting trial, where he faces the prospect of being put to death for the gospel? Well, the first thing I'd like us to see is that Paul, or that Christ will be glorified through Paul's testimony to the gospel. See, Paul is connecting back with informing the Philippians about his imprisonment. For I want you to know that through your power, your prayers, and the help of the, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. The this that he's referring to is reflecting back to chapter, or the beginning of this section in verse 12. That what has happened? His imprisonment. That Paul is now saying that this will turn out for my deliverance. My imprisonment will ultimately turn out for my deliverance. That he knows that this is going to be used further for the glorification of Christ. But he says something here that's interesting, because we might think this doesn't make sense. Paul, what do you mean your imprisonment is turning out for your deliverance? Well, if we look at this word in the Greek, this is the normal word for, in Greek for salvation, of divine salvation. And so this is actually a quote of Paul of the Old Testament figure, Job. From Job 13, verse 16, Job actually uses these words. And in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Paul picks up verbatim these words of Job. He's seeing himself in a Job-like circumstance, being falsely accused of wrongdoing when he is standing for the sake of what is righteous. And he says, it is that this will turn out, ultimately, for my salvation. The question is, is, what is Paul being saved from? What is he being saved from? Is he being saved or delivered from a prison? It wouldn't quite make sense to say, my imprisonment is working for my deliverance from imprisonment. That doesn't make sense. So what does he mean here? Paul, connecting himself with the experience of Job, a man living under false accusations, Paul is living in a world where he is being condemned. He's being condemned by the rulers of this world, being imprisoned. But not only that, he is facing believers, as he says in 
the previous passage that there are brothers who want to afflict him in his imprisonment. And he sees all this, and he's wondering, how will I be delivered from this? Well, the greatest threat that's facing Paul in this moment, as the world seems to be bearing down upon him, is that he would succumb to the accusations against him. That he would give in. That he would, as we say, throw in the towel. The prisoners are holding me here and they say that I'm here because what I'm doing is wrong. I even have brothers and sisters in Christ who are preaching the gospel with wrong motives and they're seeking to make this a more difficult experience. I might as well just give up. This isn't worth the trouble. I've gone through all this trouble to proclaim the gospel and look what's happening. It's just resulting in more and more pain and suffering for me. Why am I trusting God if he has me here in chains, if the world is turning against me? See, what Paul is ultimately seeking in knowing that he will be delivered from is failing to testify to Christ. He had just rejoiced that the gospel is going out, and now he knows God will deliver me from my temptation, from this desire to fail to testify to Christ. He is saying that ultimately this is what he will be saved from through this imprisonment. God is saving Paul in this imprisonment from giving up. It's the very thing that Paul prayed in Philippians, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus that you see in verse 6 of chapter 1. Paul knows that God is continuing to work in his life and using this imprisonment to see the gospel go out as a witness to Paul that God can use any circumstance in his life for good. And Paul is confident for the Philippians Because he's confident for himself. For I know, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. But Paul spells out how this deliverance will come. And it's a surprising way. The means through which this will come. First, he says, it will come through your prayers. It will come through the prayers of the saints. Paul knows that God works in response to his prayer. Paul's ability to testify to the gospel comes through our prayers, through the prayers of the church. My ability to testify to the gospel, other believers' ability to testify, comes through other people asking God to give them boldness. On multiple occasions in the New Testament, Paul tells the believers, Pray for me that I may have boldness to speak the word of truth. And we need prayers to speak the word of truth because this world thinks that the gospel is a shameful thing. This world looks at the gospel and says, this is foolishness. This is absurd. You claim that a man rose from the dead. You claim that I'm a sinner who is dead to God That's absurd. And they'll mock you. They'll imprison you. And so we need to pray for one another to be able to stand for the gospel. But Paul also says another thing. His ability to stand 
His ability to be delivered from this will come ultimately through the help of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Christ Jesus. He knows that ultimately even our prayers are dependent upon the working of the Holy Spirit. Lest we despair in our prayers and think it depends ultimately upon us. Paul knows it is God's Spirit who is going to work in my life to give me the strength that I need to do what God has called me to do. So Paul has set for us an example to see of facing circumstances where we would be ashamed of the gospel and be willing to stand for it. And he shows us the pathway through this. He first shows us that it's rejoicing and knowing that God uses even suffering in our lives, not to tear us down, but to build us up, to shape us, to be like our Savior. And secondly, it's he knows that it will be through the prayers of the brothers and sisters. And thirdly, that it's through the Holy Spirit working in our lives that we will be able to stand and bear witness and testify to Christ. But then Paul says another way that Christ will be glorified. He says this, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed But with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says here, how Christ is going to be honored in his life is in life or death. But Paul shows ultimately here what his goal is. With full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored. Some translations say exalted. Others say glorified. This is the chief goal of Paul's life. The honor, the glory, and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And Paul knows that that is going to come whether I live or whether I die. And he sees his life on this earth as a means by which he is going to exalt Jesus Christ. And he shows us that imprisonment, affliction, or even death are things that we should not ultimately fear, but instead they are means by which our Savior can be glorified and exalted. This is what Paul is beginning to show the believers of how God is going to be glorified through the testimony to the gospel of grace. That Christ will be glorified as the church prays and as the Holy Spirit helps and ultimately in everything in his life pointing to Jesus Christ and his glory. But then Paul gives us the reason why. He says, With full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or death. Why will Christ be honored by life or death? Why will Christ be honored this way? Well, this is our second point this morning. Because for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is a strange phrase. To live is Christ. What does that mean? To live is a person? To live is Jesus? And this first phrase, Paul is showing us 
the entire goal and reason for our lives. As our shorter catechism says, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is the chief goal of Paul in his life. To live is Christ. And he spells out in detail in verse 22 what he means by this. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. The ultimate goal for Paul in life was to magnify Christ in his life while he was alive. And that meant no matter what cost him, no matter what came his way, he was going to proclaim and exalt Christ himself and worship him. To me, to live is to proclaim Christ, to exalt Christ, to glorify him, to tell others about him, and to worship him. Paul says, if I'm alive, I get to do that. That's what it means to live is Christ. So the question comes for us today, what is the goal of your life? What is the goal of your life? What are you aiming for in this life? What ultimately shapes and defines who you are? If somebody were to ask, what does this person's life look like? What is the goal of his life? What do you think they would say about you? It's a a tough question. And Paul sets here for us, what is the goal for our life? Is to live for Christ. That this is the ultimate thing that shapes everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think, even everything that we feel. But Paul goes on. He says, not only to live is Christ, but to die is gain. See, death for the the Christian is not like other religions, where it's merely a pathway to a better life and a way to escape the miseries of this life. You can turn on most streaming services today, and I'm sure you will see some form of Viking show where when they die, they will go to Valhalla to escape the miseries of this life. Valhalla is a place of the gods and where they will live in joy and happiness. But for the Christian, death is not an escape. Because Paul says, to live is Christ. Even if I'm suffering, even if I'm in prison, I get to live for Jesus. But to die is gain. Death is not just a way of escaping difficulty. No, in Christianity, death is gain for us. And it's gain for us because of what Paul tells us in this passage. It's gain because of who we are going to be with. Paul tells us clearly that his desire is to depart and be with Christ. See, for the Christian, it's not going to just a better life where things are nice and rosy in heaven and we get to now live a life as we please. Heaven for Paul is not this place where now I don't have to deal with sin and I get to construct the life that I've really wanted to live. There's no more evil. Heaven for Paul is being with Jesus. It's gain because I get to go be with my Savior. 
That's why it's gain. To die means I get to now go be in the presence of the one who I am telling everybody about. I'm telling this world about Jesus, and of course it's better to go be with him. Of course it's better to be with him. But Paul knows the reality of this life. And he tells them, I am hard-pressed. If I am to live here, it's fruitful labor for me, but if I am to die, I get to go be with Jesus. But he realizes, to remain, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So why will Christ be glorified? Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul knows that means I'm going to live because he has work for me to do on this earth. He's almost embarrassed, as some translator or commentators say. He's like, I don't know what I would choose to do. For us, it seems obvious. Well, you would want to die and go be with Jesus. That's better. But Paul's like, I don't, I don't know. I'm torn because what is driving Paul? He wants more people to come to Christ. He wants more people to know the goodness and mercy of Jesus Christ. He wants to see believers progress. He wants to see us as believers grow in our joy. Yes, I want to go be with Jesus, but I want you all to know the joy of being a Christian, of knowing Jesus Christ. And he's torn. So Paul is torn between these two things. But for him, ultimately, he knows that the best thing that he can do, if he's not going to die, is to tell us about Jesus. I know that I will remain with you and continue with you all. This is verse 24 or 25. For your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. For Paul, if he cannot be with Jesus, the best thing for him is to bring Jesus to people. I know if I can't go be with him, then I'm going to be here on earth, and I'm going to bring Jesus to people. He's going to do his best because he knows the way that we progress as Christians is by seeing Jesus. I'm going to bring Jesus to you in his gospel. He knows the way that we have joy in our life as Christians is through seeing Jesus. Now Paul knows he's not Jesus. He tells us this. So that in me, you may have, in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. But he knows something very fundamental about his calling in this life. That through his ministry, he is demonstrating the glory of Christ. Willing to suffer that others might be saved. See, Paul is not the one who is ultimately saving. It is Jesus who saves people. But Paul is saying, I am willing to give my life even if it means that I am killed so that I can save others. And he is showing the glory of Jesus Christ 
in his ministry. And that is what produces joy for us. Because we see in the ministry of Paul, one who gave his life to bring joy to others. And so for us as believers this morning, a knowledge of this glory of Christ radically changes the way that we see this world. It changes it because we see that Christ's glory is to show forth His love for sinners. His giving Himself over to us that we might live even though it cost Him His life. It radically changes the way we look at this world because even the sufferings we endure in this life are transformed by God for His purposes and for His glory. Paul in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, echoes something very similar to this passage. It says, not only this, but we Christians rejoice in our sufferings. Now, we don't rejoice that we're suffering, but we rejoice in the midst of them, knowing that God can use these for His glory and His good. And as we are those who find joy in the middle of all of our trials that the world looks at us and thinks, you're strange. You're joyful when everything around you is terrible. What is different about you? How can you find joy in the midst of these trials? Because we know that Jesus Christ endured and made it through all His trials ultimately death, and lives. And He will bring me through this. He'll bring me through this. Yes, I may die, but it's gain for me. I have nothing to lose. And knowing the glory of our Savior transforms death. It's no longer an instrument for us to fear, nor even an instrument through which we seek escape. Though at times I feel that We're like Job, and we say, just slay me. This is too hard. But we look at death as now as the pathway to the wonderful new beginning to be with our Savior. So Christians here today, do not be afraid of this world. Do not fear the sufferings of this life, for Paul shows us that God transforms them to his purposes. And ultimately, do not fear them because Jesus himself has told us, I have overcome the world. I have overcome all of them. I have overcome the greatest difficulty in this entire world, and that is our sin. Jesus has overcome it all. But if you're an unbeliever here today, if you would say, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Or you might say, I don't really want anything to do with Jesus, but I'm open to hearing what you have to say. If you don't know the glory of Jesus, I want you to know the glory of Jesus. And the glory of Jesus is to show mercy to sinners. That's his glory. That is what Jesus demonstrates is the glory of God. It's to show His grace 
to sinners like us. It is what the angels in heaven are praising God for doing. It's what angels long to look into. That God would show grace to sinners. And that is the glory of Jesus. That He saves people. He saves sinners who are dead and could never come to life. And we confess this morning that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the glory of Jesus. That He raises sinners who were dead in their sin, and he brings them to life, and he seats us at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He wipes away all of our sins, and he gives us himself completely. That's the glory of Jesus. That's how he shows his majesty, his goodness. And if you don't know that today, I call you to believe in this, to believe in Jesus Christ. To trust that his death was your death. And that now his life is your life. And you will be saved. And you can see this glory throughout your life. Until the day that God calls you home to be with him. So believe that he died for you. And believe that he lives for you. And Christian... This is not just the call for the unbeliever. This is the same call for you today. To believe that Jesus Christ died for you and that he lives for you. And that whatever comes, Christ will be glorified. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you are good to us. And you have given Jesus to us. And Lord, we ask, along with Paul, that Christ would be magnified and glorified in our lives. How far short we fall of this all the time. But Lord, you are good and merciful to us. So help us, Lord, to remember Jesus Christ, to love him, to trust him, and to see his glory magnified in our lives, in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, in the ways that we think. May Jesus Christ be glorified in us and in your church today through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.